Welcome to an Impact Ministries production, brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development programs that have changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hey, I'm Jim Richards. I want to welcome you to spend this time with me today. We're going to talk about enjoying and experiencing life at its best. I'm going to tell you something. Jesus wants you to have an incredible life. It's a, listen, God the Father wants you to have an incredible life. You know, there, there's no... Uh, difference in what God desires and what Jesus desires. There's no difference in what Jesus did than what God will do. You know, just think of all those times that Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He wasn't saying that, that we're not separate entities. He was saying we are one in everything that is done and said and presented and represented. Or what about the times when he said, the words that I speak to you, they are not my words, they are the Father's words. In other words, Jesus said, look, you want to know what God is like? watch because he'll show you why because you know he's a second person of the trinity he was god in the flesh beyond comprehension but the point is this man you look at jesus and you just say you know what he didn't turn people away he didn't make people suffer you know nobody ever came to jesus and said we, uh, lord, lord i want you to help me with a problem he said well first i'm gonna make you sick for a little while after you suffer a little bit then then, then i'm gonna help you out he didn't do that so if he didn't do that we can't say that God does things like that because he was the exact representation of God. You know, Jesus never, Jesus never walked up to anybody and said, uh, or somebody comes up and said, listen, you know, my, my, my child's got this demon that causes him to be depressed and suicidal. And, and so he says, okay, here's what I'm going to do. He lays hands on him and says, uh, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you depressed, suicidal, and blind. No, he did not use pain and suffering as a way to teach people. That stuff came out of a Luciferian doctrine that was designed to turn people against God. It, 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 it rejects so many biblical truths, so many biblical realities. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So here we go. You know, we're talking about the truth about Job. And uh, we are now in a week seven of this. I am telling you, this is a phenomenal. So I got a, actually, I got a call from a person today. And he said, listen, I just, I just watched the first uh, in this series. He said, I'm telling you, he said, you are just providing more beneficial material than, than, than you should in a session. Well, I, I, you know what? I'm going to deliver as much as I can because I know, and my friend, he wants people to get help. I want people to get help. His point was not that I should deliver less, but his point was just how good of a job this is doing and providing material that will help people. So today, you know, I, I told you last week, if you were watching last week, by the way, if you weren't watching last week, as a matter of fact, if you, if you didn't start with us back at the beginning of last month, I encourage you, go back and start there. Get all of this stuff where it flows in a direction that you can truly understand because otherwise, you know, I'm probably going to share some things with you and go, well, what, what? No, that's not right but you'll understand if you went through the other programming, but it's there, it's on our website for free. You know something, you go to impactministries.com anytime, day or night, and have hundreds and hundreds of resources that will help you put your life together. You know, there was a businessman that had been in the ministry, and very successful, and um, uh, he, he ended up, things going wrong, marriage blew up, 
some morality problems, some financial problems. He ended up on the other side of the world. I, for, I don't remember if it was in Singapore or where he was. And uh, he just like, God, how did I, how did I get here? As a matter of fact, he was, he was there living with, I think, a prostitute. I can't remember, or living with some woman. And uh, he said, Lord, how did I get here? What do I need to do? And he said, the Lord spoke to his heart and said, find Jim Richards. And so he said he went online and found uh, some of you know, our videos that are always online. And it was, it was the turnaround point for his life about how to get out of the mess that he'd gotten into. Now, listen, to, this week we're going we're gonna to be talking about how Job got where, where he is. How did Job end up there? You know, the Bible warns us in the book of Hebrews that the deceitfulness of sin is the hardening of the heart. Now, the heart is the facility that, uh, of understanding. The heart is where we, really where we have our perception, where we, it, it makes us able to see things clearly, particularly spiritual things. And, and uh, so what happens as our heart begins to get hard, and, and there are overlapping terminologies that are pretty, they're, they're almost synonymous, but like a hardness of heart, darkness of heart, uh, a crooked heart. There's all of these kinds of things that point to the fact that when our heart gets damaged, we lose our capacity to properly understand what's happening around us. We, we don't see things clearly and we don't understand things clearly. So <clears throat> through hardening of the heart, we have the, the surprise element of sin. Now, now remember, sin always starts with the belief that, you, that God is not who He says He is. He's not as good as He says He is. Therefore, you are not who He says He is. And so ultimately, you're less than God says you are, and God will do less for you than He says you are. So once you get into that state of lack, and you, and you start feeling lack, then you start turning to sources outside of God. I'm not saying you go worship the devil, but usually you turn to, you know, whatever's happening in culture, whatever's working out in the business world, whatever other people are doing to find happiness. You start turning to other sources to meet needs in your life to try to overcome this sense of lack or emptiness or this void that you have inside you. But through hardness of heart, because we lose our understanding, we do not realize where we're going to end. You know, the Bible tells us anytime you're standing at the crossroads, you need to consider the paths and you need to consider the path that, and you need to determine, will this path, will the end of this path result, not just in me getting what I want, but will it result in me maintaining a deep, intimate connection with God where I can trust Him, where I can, where I can walk by faith, where I'm open to Him and our relationship is going to be healthy and, and full. Well, you know what? Uh, uh, hardness of heart, you, you can't really make that decision. You can't really perceive that. And so I always tell people this. Here, the problem with sin is no matter where you start, you do not know where it's going to end. And there are so many factors. And sometimes we'll look at somebody else that, you know, gets into sin and, and they survive. They come out all right. So say it didn't hurt him. Well, you know what? There's other factors in our lives. There's other weaknesses. There's other fears. There's other insecurities. There's other things that we've experienced in our young life that can make sin have a different effect on us than that same sin had on somebody else. So hardness of heart, when you start down a road of compromise of any kind, 
you do not know where it's going to end. You know, the, the, the person I always think about the most when I think about not knowing where it's going to end is Judas, who betrayed Jesus. Uh, remember, Jews, Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Now, I don't think that Judas' intention was to betray the Son of God. I don't think Judas, you know, I don't think he had this great big overarching evil uh, intention behind the betrayal. But if you go back and read, when the woman came and she had the alabaster a box full of oil and she anointed Jesus' feet, it says that, it says that uh, uh, you know, one of the disciples basically criticized her, said that, that money, uh, that could have been sold, and that money could have been used to help the poor. Well, that, that person that said that was Judas. But it goes on to say, I can't remember if it's in the book of John or not, but it goes on to say that, but he didn't care for the poor because he was the one who kept the bag. He was the treasure. And it said, and he helped himself to what was in the bag. So what started out is just kind of getting a little extra money. And this doesn't hurt anything. I mean, after all, man, I left everything. I'm following Jesus. I'm making sacrifice. I deserve a little something every night. I'm sure he had some kind of way of justifying and helping himself to what was in the bag. And that was the beginning of compromise that ended with him betraying the Son of God to be crucified. Now, I don't know this. I'm, I'm making assumptions just based on how I justify when I'm tempted to do something. I bet you anything, just like he made justifications for helping himself to what was in the bag, I guarantee you when it got down there and he, they offered him 30 pieces of silver, he thought, you know, he's a son of God. He'll, he'll get away. This, this, if, he, if he is who he says he is, this can never happen to him. And he probably recounted all the times that they tried to kill him before and he got by. So he found some way to justify this betrayal. Well, I want to tell you something. That's what happens in the hardness of heart. No matter how small the compromise is, you never know where it's going to end. Now, Job, again, to recap some things I've already said, the first 30-something chapters of Job, most of it is filled with the judgments, the accusations, and the justifications of Job, his wife, and his friends. And basically, based on how they saw God, they all pretty much decided, you must have some secret sin, and God is doing this to you. Now, they were wrong because, number one, God wasn't doing this to them. Satan was doing this to them. Some think the Bible says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I've come to might have a life, have it more abundantly. But it's amazing that we can still manage to turn that around and say, yeah, but you know, every now and then he's going to kill somebody you love, teach you something. Or oh, every now and then, you know, he's going to make you lose everything. I remember one time hearing a deacon in a church saying, get him testifying. And he was talking about, he was taking up an offering. He said, you need to give your tithes and offering. He said, because if, you know, if, if you don't give it to God, he's going to get it one way or another. And he said, you know, I kind of let up on my giving him and, and, uh, and the devil attacked me and my air conditioner went out and I had to spend all that money on my air conditioner. And he said, God's going to get his money one way or the other. And I remember 
thinking to myself, it's like, wait a minute, number one, the devil don't attack air conditioners. And number two, if it had been the attack of the devil, then it wasn't God getting your money back. Number three, you didn't give the money to God or to be used in ministry. You gave it to an air conditioner man. But somehow or another, you can twist all of this around to say that God brings hardship on you. Well, in the book of Job, and I know I've repeated this. I'm going to keep repeating it. We took things that these people said that God later rebuked them for and told them that they were darkening his counsel by speaking words without knowledge. You know, uh, uh, one of the things that I've had the interesting opportunity to do is help a lot of people cross over, people that are, you know, facing death and they're struggling and they're, you know, they're fighting. And I don't know if you really understand this, but you can resist death. You know, people have this idea, well, when's your time to go? You just go. No, that's kind of not really the way it happens. Uh, what's even worse is a lot of people say, well, well, you know, when God's ready for you to go, you're going to go, no, that absolutely is not what happens. <clears throat> you know, and, and if that was, God was ready for you, he'd speak to your heart and you could just let go and go. You wouldn't have to get cancer or whatever disease that you got. But you know, one of the interesting things is that so many times I would be working with a family and, and, uh, and that person that's sick, you know, they, they keep saying, oh, we're, we're, you know, I'm, I'm believing God. I'm believing God. I, you know, healing is mine. I'm believing God. And the whole family is running around telling everybody in church, everybody, in they, all their neighbors, everybody at work, man, my husband's going to get healed. He's, he's believing God. We're believing God. And one of the things I would always try to do as a pastor in those situations is I'll just say, God, whenever you want me to talk to this person, you speak to my heart, I'll go talk to him. And, and every time it would happen, and I'm talking about numerous times, every time it would happen, somehow I would manage to get to the hospital room or to the house or wherever the person was staying when nobody else was there. And that's hard to happen. That's not coincidental when you're dealing with people that are dying because you don't leave your family members there when you're dying. So... So when nobody there, I'd, you know, I'd talk to them and I would share. And finally, at some point, I'd say, well, you know, uh, I know that your family is telling everybody that you're, you're uh, believing God to be healed. And so, you know, I just want to know, and I'm not being critical, but is that the truth? Do you really believe that you're, that you're going to get healed? You're going to come out of this? You know something? I can't even tell you how many times people say, no. I mean, it, it, it usually took a few minutes before they were ready to admit it, but they would just reluctantly admit, no, I, I don't. And, uh, and I would say, okay, why then are you saying this to your family? And they would say, well, sometimes they'd say, well, you know, if I don't, they're going to get mad at me. And, 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 and you know, they're, they're all going to set in on me because I'm giving up and abandoning them. And, and so really it was about their family. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't about the sick person. Or sometimes they would just say, well, I'm, I'm embarrassed because, you know, I've always, I've always been a person of faith. I'm embarrassed to say that, that no, I really don't believe. And sometimes they say, you know, I don't even want to live. I, I remember the last man I was with that I helped cross over, he told me, he said, look, I've lived a great life. I love my family. He said, but I'm done. He said, I, I, don't, want, I, don't, even, I don't want to fight the battle anymore. I am ready to go. So here was the thing I would always tell all those people. It's like, then... You need to understand if you keep up this charade and you keep telling your family that you believe you're going to live, then when you die, 
they're going to blame God. And they're going to be upset with God because they're going to be saying, God, he, he believed. He said he believed. He believed and you let him die. That's what you call darkening counsel. In other words, making God's word dark, hard to understand, can't sort out why something is happening. And you know, in every one of the cases where I did this, these men and women would call their family together and, and, and I would just say, look, call them together, get them to give you permission to cross over if you're ready to cross over. And what you're going to find is when you don't feel like you're obligated to stay alive for them, you'll be able, you'll be able to cross over pretty much painlessly in peace very quickly and very easily. And that's what would happen. They would get their family together and say, look, I really don't believe I'm going to get healed. I haven't believed I'm going to get healed. I was, just, I was afraid to tell you. Or every time I tried to tell somebody, you guys jumped all over me that I wouldn't use in my faith or something like that. And they would say, look, I'm done and, and I want you to release me. I want you to give me permission to let go. And you know, when that would happen, they would usually die within, sometimes within hours, sometimes within minutes. Uh, but at least within days, and they would do it peacefully instead of doing it under all of this torment. Listen, when we misrepresent God, we darken counsel. And that's what Job and his friends were doing. And that's what we do when we justify our circumstances and try to claim that for some mystical reason, God is doing something to us. So in the book of Job, you know, you have the introduction, Job 1.1, there was a man in the land of us whose name was Job and the man was blameless and upright and one that feared God and shunned evil. Now this concept of fearing God, and I think we mentioned it last week, this is not being afraid of God hurting him per se. Uh, this is, he, he reverenced God. But, uh, it said in verse 2, it says, He had seven sons and three daughters who were born unto him. Also his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household. So this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. In other words, Job was an incredibly wealthy man. Then in verse 4 it says, And his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with him. So it was that when the days of feasting had run their course, that Job would send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. That kind of reminds me of the passage I think it's in Hebrews, you know, where it talks about how in the Old Testament they offered sacrifices over and over and over because there was a constant reminder of sin. It wasn't, there was no faith in it. It was so many times people did it more out of fear than out of faith. That's not what God wanted, but that's what, that's what people did. Now, what you want to understand here, what happened to Job's children happened because of what was in their hearts, not what was in Job's heart. But what happened to Job did happen because of what was in his heart. In the book of Hebrews, it tells us something really interesting about what Jesus saw and did when he came, became a man and died. It says that, he, it says that, that, uh, that through death, this is Hebrews 2, 14, 15, 
through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Now, fear, and in this case it's talking specifically about the fear of death, but you could generalize this to fear. Fear takes people into bondage. And so all that befalls Job is revealed in these early scriptures in that Job had a fear problem. He, and it wasn't fear for himself, it was, it was fear for his children. And uh, ultimately, you know, of course you have to ask the question, well, was Job teaching his children? Was he teaching them to, to trust God and to serve God for themselves or, or, or what? But you realize that when Job brought these sacrifices, that the primary motivator for these sacrifices was fear. It wasn't, it wasn't faith. It was fear. Now, there is a universal law. There is one universal law that underlies everything that happens in the physical universe. It underlies everything that happens uh, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, financially. Our every interaction is, there's a universal law that is activated with every action that we take or every inaction. And <clears throat> this law, here, here's the thing about universal laws. Some of you have heard me talk about universal laws before. Universal laws are laws that are built into the fabric of creation. And Honestly, in order for creation to sustain life, this particular universal law has to be in place. But even though it, it is a law that was given to sustain life and to improve the quality of our life, like everything in creation, you can use it for life or death. You know, you can, you can, you know, there's this big debate about guns. You can use guns to protect yourself. You can use guns to commit murder. You know, there's certain, there, there's certain herbs that you can take and you can use those herbs that will heal you or you can take a lot of them and they'll kill you. Same, same thing with allopathic medicine. Everything has within it the potential for life and death. And God, in order for us to have a physical universe, God had to put this one universal law in and that universal law is the law of the seed. And the law of the seed is all about sowing and reaping. Now, the problem with the concept of sowing and reaping is that we always think that sowing and reaping is where we sow something and it causes, and then God causes something to happen in reaction to what we have sown or to what we have done. That is not a universal law. Universal law does not require faith. Doesn't matter if you believe in it or not. Uh, it does not require action on God's part because it is not based on punishment or, or those kinds of things. It is just uh, a law of existence that says everything has certain consequences, and those consequences can be good, those consequences can be bad. You know, one of the interesting laws of sowing and reaping is, is the curse. You know, when... When we read about, you know, God saying, if you, you know, if you do this and this and this, you know, I will do this and this and this. And, and, but if you do this and this and this, I'm going to cause this to happen to you. Well, <clears throat> in, the, in the language many times, particularly in the Hebrew language, you realize that 
God saying he's going to cause something really is not that cut and dried because many times he is saying, because of the laws that I have established, if you do this and this and this, by this law that I've established, it will cause this and this and this to happen, something good to happen. But if you do this other thing over here, this destructive thing over here, because of this law I have created, then these destructive consequences are going to happen. And so uh, I, I forgot what they call that, that tense, but uh, it's not saying that God takes individual action as much as it is saying he created this law. Therefore, he is telling you how to use this law to cause it to bring life or to cause it to bring death. As a matter of fact, in the Hebrew language, everything has a, a life side and a death side. Every truth has a life side and a death side. You know, uh, I've said this every time I've ever talked about uh, uh, the universal law of the seed. Stop and think about it. The word of the Lord that came to Moses that set the children of Israel free brought about the death of, of the firstborn of all Egyptians. And, you know, the same sun that melts butter hardens clay. It's the condition of the heart that determines if this universal law of the seed is going to work for you or against you because you're going to use it based on, based on your beliefs and based on your concepts. So <clears throat> in the law of the seed, number one, you reap what you sow. And what that means is you can only, a seed can only produce a crop after its own kind. That's, that's really important. You plant corn, you get corn. You plant potatoes, you get potatoes. You plant watermelon, you get watermelon. You, you know, but you can't plant okra and get peas. You know, you can't plant tomatoes uh, and, and, and get uh, uh, turnip grains. You get whatever the seed produces. So you have to realize if, Job was motivated by fear, then the only thing that could get produced in his life, even though he was pointing this toward God, would be things that produce more fear. That's the law of the seed. And with the law of the seed, you know, there is the, there is the seed that you plant. And that seed that you plant is really, it's more about the intentions and the motive of why you're doing what you're doing, even than it is what you're doing, even though both of them, you know, you know, you know come into play. So, it, you know, that's like people who pray and they pray in fear. People who intercede, but they intercede in fear. People who read their Bible, but they do so because they're afraid if they don't, God's going to punish them. None, none of these people have life coming from their efforts, even though their efforts on the outside look like godly efforts. No, what they have is they have more fear, they have more death, they have more destruction. So what you realize here from the book of Job is, is that Job had a fear problem in his heart, which set up the entire scenario that actually drew him into temptation, that drew him actually, and we talked about last week, when, you know, when God said, you know, everything he said to Satan, everything he's got is already under your power. How did that happen? Fear. That's how that happened. God didn't put everything under, under his power. Fear put everything under Satan's power. So you know something? You, you look around and you're in messes and you're like, how did I get here? I'll tell you how you made some compromise somewhere. You started acting out of fear. You started acting out of unbelief. You started acting out of greed. You started acting out of lust. Doesn't matter. But the point is you took actions driven by motives and those motives can only produce after their own kind, more of the same 
thing, more chaos, more trouble. Listen, if you're interested in getting diving into the details about the truth about Job, if you're interested in taking it farther than these broadcasts can go, then, then be sure and go to impactministries.com and, and get it this month. And you know what? It's got six CD messages in it. Uh, or you can download it, but also I'm giving you for free two bonus messages that I just think are absolutely essential that you have to go along with this series. So be sure and check it out. And you know what? You got just, I think, uh, one more week. If you're interested in coming to um, World Changer Weekend, if there's any space left, go to our website, impactministries.com, and check it out because we'd love to have you here for the, for the greatest celebration of the love of God in America right here every July third weekend, and we'd like for you to be a part of it. Now, listen, I, I want to encourage you, be sure and comment on this. Tell, you know, you know, tell people what you're getting out of it, like this, and, and share this with other people, and subscribe to this so you can get this every single week, and we'll be a blessing to you every week. I'll talk to you next week. We're going to talk to you about how to get out of these kinds of problems. Thanks for listening to the weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com, with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website for previous podcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.